This is the Australian Hunting Podcast, hunting, shooting and fishing radio on the AHP Digital Radio Network. Visit us at australianhuntingpodcast.com.au. Sit back, relax and enjoy. Here's the host of the show, Jason Selms. Welcome back to the Australian Hunting Podcast here on the AHP Digital Radio Network. Please visit us at australianhuntingpodcast.com.au. If you'd like to contact me for any reason, then please click on that contact icon on the website. You can listen to the show by going to our website and click on the archives link at the top of the page. You can also subscribe to the Australian Hunting Podcast on iTunes, where you can download all episodes to date. Please leave a comment on iTunes and rate five stars if you enjoy the show and to show your support. That would be greatly appreciated. Find us on social media at facebook.com forward slash Australian Hunting Podcast. You can also follow our Twitter feed at twitter.com forward slash AH Podcast. And also, if you enjoy watching videos, then please subscribe to our channel at youtube.com forward slash Aussie Feral Control. Alternatively, you can find all the social media links on the website. If you want to be part of the Australian Hunting Podcast, then please leave us a voicemail by clicking on the voicemail icon on the right-hand side of the website. This gives you an opportunity to be part of the show, and we will play your voicemail message on our next Straight Shooting Podcast. Donations are always graciously accepted, and you can click on the Donate button on the website. I appreciate all people who listen and donate to the show. Share the Australian Hunting Podcast with your friends and family and get as many people into hunting, shooting and fishing as you possibly can. My name is Jason Selms and without further ado, let's get into my interview with today's guest. This is Rod Drew, CEO of Field and Game Australia. This is Rob Fickling from Beyond the Divide and Maroka 30. Hi, this is Kyle Allison, hunter, journalist for 42 years and a shooter. Hi, this is Russell Mark, Olympic gold medalist. This is Charlie Jacoby from Field Sports Britain. Hey everybody, it's Tom Knapp and you're listening to the Australian Hunting Podcast. Clyde Thomas, welcome to the Australian Hunting Podcast, mate. Thanks for coming on the show. Really appreciate your time today. Yeah, thanks very much, Jason. Pleasure. No worries, mate. I mean, Clyde, tell us, I want to find out about who, who is Clyde Thomas. Does he hunt, shoot, fish, and how he got into it? Yes, I do still hunt, shoot, and fish, Jason. I, uh, I started as a young kid, being, being mentored by my father and grandfather, and uh, I've just continued ever since. It's a, uh, I suppose it's in today's world of, uh, of plastics and, and, and all entertainment found, for us it's a... Uh, it's quite a privilege to be uh, to be able to live out here and be part and parcel of it. Yeah, where, what sort of area are you from, Clyde? Where are you from? I'm from Kaya, down the far south coast of uh, New South Wales, the last town, last little stop before you go over the border into Victoria. Mm. Does it, how did you, when you were originally growing up, Clyde, did your, did your family hunt? Did your father hunt or your brothers or you got any sisters oh, that in, hunt? Indeed, they did. I, my, my sister didn't, my brother does, my father, my grandfather. Um, I, was, I was brought up in Cronulla. I was born in Lithgow, the Blue Mountains. Moved down to Cronulla when we were about two years old. My dad being an engineer and uh, building the oil refinery in those days out at Cronulla. So, um, and we continued our, uh, our hunting. All of our holidays were spent inland. My dad was a great fossicker, so we, uh, we scoured the, uh, the coastal range from, from Mount Isa 
all the way down to Victoria, chasing after gold and sapphires and uh, emeralds at times and whatever, yeah, uh, um, opals, we chased all around. And of course, during that time was where we really got to hone our skills and were taught all about uh, providing tucker for the camp. So we caught fish, we, we shot ducks and rabbits and kangaroos and and then anything else we could eat. What was the what what was the family? What they love hunting when you went out of family? What was the what was the main quarry you you know you went after? Well, I suppose uh, uh, in a sporting sense, if you like, uh, um, we probably went after pigs, balls, and everything. We lived in an area, of course, Cronulla, right on the edge of the, the national park. My grandfather was a crown sergeant of police at Southern Police Station in those days. So uh, it, around the periphery of the park, a lot of private property, my pop knew and. He had permission to hunt in there, so uh, I, 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 earned, I, I honed my early skills on deer hunting a lot through Pop, you know. And we didn't shoot a lot, but he explained an awful lot. Yeah, but exactly. as far as uh, as far as the family trips go, the big, our big trips away were uh, probably out west chasing pigs, and uh, or yep. down the Yukon being catching giraffe. Oh, yeah, the Eucumbin. I haven't been down there. You're always, always trying to find a head down to Eucumbin, but I think it's about 10 seasons in one down there, isn't it? <laughs> uh, indeed it is. And I was very lucky. We were, you know, we, we were going down there in the very early 60s, so the lake had not all that long been opened up, and it was just, oh, it, Jason, it was just a, a young hunter's paradise. The, the game, <laughs> yeah. the, the, oh, it was just incredible, the fishing as well. Clyde, what do you think, I mean, again, from a perspective of someone, uh, you know, hunting back around those times, do you think the hunting is different then than it is now today? Oh, indeed it was. In those days, you'd go door-to-door to farmers and ask if you come on a pot of bunny or something like that, and you're greeted open-armed, you know. These days, mate, as we all know, they're very, very hesitant, uh, um, I suppose, with, you know, the amount of illegal hunting that has gone on in the past. It's left a very sour taste in a lot of farmers' mouths, and it is a whole lot harder there than uh, it was in yesteryear, you know? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, good point. Um, what about, obviously, I think you've had kids, Clyde. Are they, are they into hunting? Yeah, we've got two daughters. Um, yes and no. They're, they're hesitant. Hunters. My eldest daughter, Katie's been out chasing fallow a few times, um, and uh, they're both, both excellent shots. As I tell all their boyfriends, you know, don't muck with them. <laughs> because, uh, but uh, no, they're, they're, they're probably not so much in hunting. They all love fishing, both love fishing, and they both love diving, you know. Yeah. So, uh, but not so much the hunting side. But again, I'll say they're both excellent rifle shots. They just don't feel the need there. Yeah, I was going to say they probably shoot better than me, Clyde. They probably do. <laughs> well, maybe they shoot better than me on occasions, you know. <laughs> yeah, they, exactly. Uh, yeah, yeah. I, I mean, they, they both go and pursue a bunny or something like that, I think, but, uh, but they don't—they're not driven like that. Yeah, no, that's that's. Um, uh, Clyde, I want to talk about some of the pros of being a, a person that hunts and shoots. What do you think? I mean, you know, we got into this, you know, culture, sport, whatever you'd like to call it, of hunting, shooting, and fishing. What's some of the pros of being out in the bush and just being a person that does these outdoor activities? Yeah, well, I suppose uh, for me, it's, it's not even a. Uh, it's a way of life, Jason. It's not even a, it's not a sport or a culture. It really is a way of life to me. It's something I've been brought up with. As I say, you know, we were taught all about um, Camp Tucker. Um, I was taught to shoot accurately. If I brought a rabbit home that hadn't been headshot, I would, you know, I'd be reprimanded for it. So, um, 
uh, for me, and like I say, and that has pursued, I've carried that all through my life. We, we eat game meat here, you know, 90% of the time. We're eating steak, it's going to be venison steak, or maybe goat or a bit of wild pork. We make salamis and sausages here. I have some uh, of my, my ethnic friends, hunters also, but uh, we've been you know, cross-cultural swaps, mate, and we make fantastic salamis and things like that down here. Mm. And all from game meat, you know. Yeah, exactly. No, it's always good. I enjoy making my game meat, my sausages, and just you oh, know, tasting the fare. I mean, when I first tried it many years ago, I was like, oh yeah, this is different and interesting. And some people won't try it that I give it to. Even myself, you know, trying to get the right yeah. recipes together. And oh, you know, yeah. I, 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 no, I found there. I don't tell people what they're eating. They come for dinner. <laughs> you know, we're, we're, the, we're the case, and I won't mention her name, but we're, we're the case here once. So we again did a beautiful venison stir fry, and uh, we'd we'd uh, we'd eaten the meal. This lady's husband had finished his rapidly, and I said, "Mate, there's some more in the front, more in the walk over there." And he said, "Oh, it's beautiful, mate." And I said, "Yeah, I said you are you enjoyed so you've had venison before." Now this lady had all but finished, <laughs> and she stopped. She said, "Is this venison?" And I said, yes, it is. She just pushed the bowl away, you know. And <laughs> I just don't get it, Jason. I just don't understand, you know. Yeah, I went on to explain that it was it was humanely cold. It is organic. It is not no pesticides or herbicides. It is the real deal, 100% you know, natural protein. It's what exactly. we evolved and what we climbed out of the trees to eat. So funny but, thing, uh, she had no problem eating it just before you told her what it was. <laughs> no, indeed, mate, not a problem at all. Woofing it down. <laughs> Clyde, I want to I go on the flip side too. Um, what are some of the cons you think of being a hunter or shooter or fisherman? Do you think there's any cons? Uh, how, how do you actually mean, Oh, just cons as in anything negative. We, we, you told me the pros. Is there any negatives about being a hunter or shooter, do you think? Uh, in today's world, most definitely. It's very, very difficult to get the message across to your average urbanite that lives at more than arm's length to nature, you know. They watch David Attenborough and they watch all that stuff. They've read the gold books on Bambi and to them hunters are big bad brutes that that kill whatever they see, you know, which is not indicative of who we are. Yeah. You know, we, I, I, I explain ourselves as the front line of conservation. We are the people out there doing it at our own, in our own time, at our own expense, and, uh, and, we, and, and we get lambassadors, rednecks, or wanting killers for this very, you know, they have no problem with your average urbanite going out and spraying weeds or, you know, or, or, or I love it at the moment, on the Illawarra, for example. Yeah. They're culling the rooster deer down there because they're an environmental threat. You know, areas down there that I had permission on private property down there has now a few deer on there, but it's all been turned up. It's all turned into suburbia now. You've got... You know, McMansions all over the place introduced plants in there, and, and Wollongong councils say that they're getting rid of the deer because they're a threat. I don't understand, mate. You know, I see the urban cancer spreading out and taking over beautiful countries. You know, and wild, our wild animals of all descriptions paying the price for it. You know? Yeah, exactly. I wanted to get into the the, the crux of the show, uh, which is you know. We're talking about people, Clyde, that have sort of been out hunting or had an issue and got a disability. So I wanted you, I wanted you to talk about um, 
what happened to yourself, you know, the circumstances leading up to that, and, uh, you know, give us a rep, you know, what age you were, because first yep. off, just, just first off, tell uh, the, the listeners what, what the actual issue is first. Well, I, I'm a C5 quadriplegic, so in 1989, I was going for a, a drive to a friend's place, we're having a horse meeting, we half a dozen horses here, and sort of coastal cowboys, mate, we, I used to, I, I had very privileged, mate, I had to hunt off my horses out here, with my dog, so anyway, we're going to a meeting on this particular night, and uh, I had a, a friend of mine from Sydney driving, and uh, we uh, in his vehicle, short wheelbase Toyota, with a large Sunraiser tyre floating around the back of it. We uh, we had discussed this at length, and I just capitulated in the end and said, "Take the bloody thing." He was worried about having a flat tyre somewhere and getting leaving his car up stranded, and so off we went for a ten minute drive, and. Uh, he tipped the car over on a corner on the Nethercote Road up here. It's a mountain road, big ass bends there. But we came off the sealed road onto a corner of gravel. The car went sideways, he jammed the brake on, and over she flipped, mate. And I'd say the very tyres were creamy. Anyway, I woke up at the site there, and uh, long story short, ended up in Pambula Hospital. And then to Beaver Hospital, and back to Pambula, and then up to, up to Prince Henry, where I spent the next 12 months in, in Prince Henry. And, uh, as you can imagine, mate, I was 36 years old. I had two young daughters, four and two. I had a mortgage over my head, and I just started in a new job. I'd, uh, I'd been very lucky, and I got to, le- to lease with option to buy an Abloh license in Victoria, and I'd uh, been 10 days into that. Right. So, uh, you know, it's, it was a big one, mate, and I just, as you can imagine, when I, I woke up in hospital, and they told me I wasn't going to walk again, I had 30 pounds of, of weight. Uh, I'm screwed into my skull, and that was there for about three and a half weeks. They hoped that the weight on my head, you know, I had this, uh, I think they call it a yoke, drilled into my skull on the temple on either side. 30 pound weight hanging back down there, mate, so I say three weeks to try and straighten my neck. They had uh, no no luck with that, so into the operation theatre, and uh, they opened my neck up, mate, and tried to put the S-bend back into place. As a consequence, of course, I, I became a complete quadriplegic, so uh, it, there's no hope of it, it you know, getting better again. Yeah. Um, so that's from the neck down. Is that from the neck down, you said, Clyde, for people neck, that don't know? Yeah, neck down. Mate, probably about halfway up my neck. From there down is all dead, and everything above that is fairly dumb. Let me tell Mate, a question for you. How do you, you know, it's on a personal level here, like how do you... I must admit, how do you, you know, I guess people that listen to the show don't understand maybe the gravity of, of, of that happening, especially in your, you know, your, your mid to late 30s, you know, you've got a family, some young daughters, I mean, how do you deal with something like that? I mean, how, I mean, obviously you just have to, but how, does it, how, do, you, how do you mentally yeah. cope with something like that? Well, I suppose I lay in hospital, Dave, and uh, I, just wanted to, I just wanted to be dead. Mm. I just wanted to be dead, mate, I just didn't want to be here, you know. And my wife brought in my two little angels. Yeah. And, uh, and they floated in here, and I looked at them, and uh, I go, man, you know, I've I got responsibilities here. Yeah. I've got to do something. I've got to do something, you know. Yeah. So I, I started to, I, I didn't know what I could possibly do. I had a, uh, prior, prior to this, prior to me starting as an abalone diver, I had 15 years as a commercial diver I worked on oil rigs all around the world from the North Sea to Southeast Asia. And um, during that time, uh, uh, 
the the Divers Association I was a member of supplied me with a solicitor, and he came down to represent me on this. And he told me straight up, mate, he said, you know, this act of accident is being seen as an act of God. You worked that one out, and there's every chance in the world that you're not going to get any money, you know? Wow. So it's okay. I was like, right, oh. So at this stage, like, I was, as you imagine, pretty freaked out. Yeah. You know, I've got a mortgage, I've got all this going on, I've got two young daughters, yep. and I've got to do something. So, as I previously said, when I leased this Abram license, I leased it and I had the first option to buy. Well, the dude driving the car was the bloke that owned the license at that stage, or his wife did. So, they made that available to me. So, from hospital, somehow, mate, uh, I was three months after having a broken neck, I took on a partner, and I'll buy them, mate. And we raised the money, six hundred fifty thousand dollars, and I went Harvey's in my first Avalon license, wow. and we we bought that, and uh, borrowed the money, and I had to mortgage the house, and my wife did the run around, and me, and me good mate John Sullivan, God bless his heart, and they ran, did all the run around for me. Anyway, we finally got we got signed, sold, delivered, and Mark went in the water, and uh, for the next eight years, I was fighting for a settlement. I, uh, I, we managed to survive off that. It was, you know, it was a uh, hair of the chinny chin chin moment there most <laughs> yeah. of the time, but we got through it, you know. But that taught me something, you know. That taught me that you can rise above this, you can do something, you know. And I managed to do that. So, um, and then uh, I say that I spent 12 months in hospital, and mate, that, that was hard work. It was the old hospital, and the nurses were terribly uh, um, overworked in there, and uh, and God bless them, mate, what beautiful people they are. You know, they got their hands full, and as you can imagine, the, the, um, the despair alone in there, you know, with all these people that, uh, that have lost their mobility. You know, I had, I, I, I've seen six-year-old kids in there, mate, you know, yeah, and it's exactly. heartbreaking. It is absolutely heartbreaking. Funny, the, uh, the, 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 the nurse there, the head nurse there at the time, she didn't think I was dealing with my quadriplegia very well because I've been missing it a few uh, Thursday films. On. They, they run films in there on everything from, uh, from medication through to skin care to sexuality, what you may or may not be able to get away with, you know. And uh, I'd missed a couple of these sessions because I was trying to raise money. And I had my solicitor there, I had my accountant there trying to do all this and... Uh, so we, you know, she came and saw me one day. She said, Clyde, I don't think you're dealing with this very well. And I said, well, Marg, you know, I've just raised $650,000. Can you please ask anybody else? And you include the doctors as well, you know? So <laughs> yeah, after, exactly. Yeah. So after that, she started sending me people for counselling, in a sense, you know? And, uh, and that's when I got to really, made, it broke my heart. You know, I had a couple of young girls there, probably 15, 16-year-old, you know? I, I'd had a wonderful life, Jason, you know, by, by 36. Mate, I'd lived so many dreams, you know. Yeah. As a kid growing up in Cronulla, I dreamt of, you know, I'd read all the books like we all do on hunting with horse on horseback. And, oh, mate, I, and here I was doing it, you know. I lived in, I bought a little farm down here. I had a dream world, dream life. And I look at these kids that had nothing, they probably hadn't kissed anybody before, you know. Yeah. And uh, that really stinks in, mate. Yeah, I was going to say, how did that affect you, you know, when you're, you know, after System of Action, obviously you were big on hunting before that. How did this affect, you know, your, your outdoor activities? 
Oh, well, mate, during my rehabilitation, I remember it was Rusa season, you know. And all I <laughs> yeah. could do, all I could do was sit in this bloody wheelchair, thinking my mates are down there at the moment, and, uh, you know, and, and I'm, I've I, I got to do something, I've got, you know. So, uh, we talked about it, we talked about it in the hospital. And when I, by the time I got out of the hospital, my wife, God bless her, had done some research and she found a prototype rifle rack that was advertised in a spinal, in a, uh, oh, I can't remember, SCI Spinal Cord International, I mean, American company. Anyway, she, she purchased this thing, cost her about 250 bucks. So we got this rifle rack out, so, and mate, what a monster it was. It weighed about three tonne, and we didn't know how <laughs> we were going to get this going, but, Again, as I said before, I've been blessed with the most wonderful, wonderful friends. Oh, mate. And one of my close buddies, now deceased, sadly, uh, the late, great John Neville, county gunsmithing down here, uh, we got our heads together and, and uh, said, mate, we're going to lighten this thing and work the trigger. And, it, you know, it's, so we Aussie-fired it, mate. And we got down and we finally, uh, we trimmed up this machine and got it going. I cut down, I cut this stock off my much loved Safeway triple two and uh, within the first hour I was shooting inch groups with it so the next day we went for a hunt <laughs> yeah uh, uh, yeah up town of, back of town of Wangalay down here big mob of goats up in there and God was very kind to us mate I got within range uh, first shot was about 180 metres 55 grown and uh, 50 grown a mate and down she went yeah first yep. shot and I shot three goats on that day. Well, mate, I could just about beat my chest, I tell you. Yeah, so you, so you basically made a nice little shooting apparatus to take around with you? Yeah, yeah, we did. We, we Well, I can't take all the credit, you know. All part of the bloke that designed in the States. Yeah. But we fine-tuned it, and we got to go. Well, I, I, I shoot a 300 now, and a, I shoot a 250, a 308, and a 300. And I shoot inch groups regularly with it, you know. Exactly. So, um, so... Uh, and that was that kicked us on, mate. You know, that gave me that gave me the challenge, the next challenge, I suppose. And uh, after, so by this stage, I'd had two big wins, you know, two big emotional wins. And this is what we're talking about. So forget the money and all that sort of stuff. I'd actually achieved buying a license, you know, and yep. now I'd achieved hitting a target with my rifle and going out hunting. So I just felt virtually. Virtually unstoppable at that stage, you know. Um, yeah. I, I was sound and secure in myself. Um, my relationship was firm in those days there, and I felt, you know, I felt there was a whole lot of things I could do, you know. Yeah. And as far as I've tried to pass that on, you know, to other other disabled people, and I've had some beautiful letters. To, uh, I've had Colly Allison write some incredible stories about me. Um, I, I, I had to ask my wife, had, had I paid him? So that, he was saying so many nice things, you know. <laughs> but from, those, from those articles, I've had a lot of people phone me up and uh, I've had people phone me, I've had people write me, compliment me and so I've given them some, you know, some courage to get up and have a go to. And that, that's all I can say. Anybody in a wheelchair that, uh, you know, it, things are possible. You've just got to try and you just got to try it. We're just going to go to a quick break here on AHP Digital and we will be right back. Don't go anywhere. Are you looking to buy your first gun safe? 
Perhaps you need more room for your prized collection. Lockaway Safes provides the world's most advanced anti-pry technology. The swing and slide system is truly revolutionary. Drop into your nearest Beretta dealer or visit lockawaysafes.com.au. Lockaway, the only serious choice in firearms protection. For everything Bushnell, go to Red Fox Outdoor Supplies online store. For a full range of Bushnell rifle scopes, rangefinders, binoculars, night vision, spotting scopes and hobbies gun cleaning products. Visit redfoxoutdoorsupplies.com.au or call Greg on 0415 495 712. Red Fox Outdoor Supplies, the only real choice for Bushnell hunting equipment. Do you hunt deer and want to learn the correct techniques for a quality wall mount and premium eating venison? SSAA Sydney Branch provides hunter education courses to help you become a better hunter and to utilise harvested game in the most effective way possible. Course content includes gunning, butchering and caping from experienced hands-on instructors using locally harvested deer. There is no gear required and also includes a barbecue lunch. Courses are held every first Sunday of each month with an 8am sign-in for a 9am start. Course running time is approximately 6 hours and the venue is Silverdale Rifle Range. Cost is $50 per person so call Andy Mallon at Silverdale Rifle Range on 0246531440 or visit www.sydney.net. Mate, what about talking about the friends and that? I know you said, um, you know, in some situations, you know, you probably know this as well. Like, honestly, some people wouldn't, you know, whether, you know you, sometimes you've got, like every friendship, some friendships out there, you know, sometimes they're fair weather well, friends, you might say, and they would have, you know, in, this, uh, you know, in, in this situation, they would have, you know, maybe just distanced themselves from you. But you said you had oh, good dang. friends that taken you hunting. Yeah. Tell us about that. Well, I've had both, you know, I've had friends phone up, you know, and blame me away, mate, just phone them and said, mate, I. I can't come and see you. I say, why? You know? Well, mate, I remember how you used to be. I just couldn't stand to see you. I'm sorry, Joe, I just don't get that one. I really don't, you know. Yeah. Uh, mate, I'm a human being. I'm, I'm still the same man. I don't have a broken arm. I don't have a broken leg or ribs or jaw. I've broken all them before. Um, i got a broken neck. That's all, you know. I'm still a human being. The same needs, physical, emotional, you know. I still need to be loved, mate, you know, like everybody else. And and this guy died without even seeing me for like fifteen years or eighteen years, you know. You never understand. And yet my other mates have just none of them have let me have any rest at all, you know. They've carted some of the places I've been carted, you would not believe, mate. Humped me across creeks in my wheelchair, lugged me rifle rack for me, got me in the positions where uh Oh, they, I, I, they even wanted, wanted to load me into a wheelie bin to get me across a bleeding river one day, chasing turtle <laughs> up, up north this was. And I drew the line, my oh, God, mate, you're not telling me behind you in a wheelie. I don't care who's going to hang on to it. It's not happening. <laughs> so I got, I got out of that one, you know. But, uh, but my mates have, mate, they've, they've spotted for me. They've walked gullies to try and flush deer down to me. Those, oh my, I've got some wonderful, wonderful friends, you know. Johnny Phillips up at, up at uh, Gatto, John the Magic, God bless his heart. Wayne Kemba, they've been, they've been unreal. Even Swampy, his son, before, uh, 
for him. Yeah. yeah. Bit naughty. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, fantastic, mate. And, and the guys down here, I've got Mick Cordell McCarra and my brother here that lives on the farm. Uh, mate, I couldn't have done any of it without those guys. You know? Just goes to show, uh, Clyde, there is faith in humanity, isn't there, when people, you know, come together and do good things for other people, so... Oh, indeed, indeed there is. And like I said, it got to the stage where they just wanted to see what I could do, so they just kept on pushing me and pushing me. Like I said, trying to get me across the, across the river in the you know, bloody wheelie bin, you know? So <laughs> yeah. I've had, and, and of course, having, you know, a, a long history of diving. I, I started diving when I was about eight years old in Cronulla. I was fairly proficient Spiro. I joined the ranks of the commercial diving in about 1976, I think, and uh, I worked offshore. I've been very proud. I'm a boiler maker by trade. I specialised in high back welding in those days, underwater welding, and that took me all over the world, and uh, I picked up a few other skills along the way, uh, non-destructive testing and a DMT, a medical technician, so it was an underwater paramedic, and that sort of allowed me, like I say, to uh, take control of my accident site to start with until the ambos got there. I was the only one that knew, knew what to do, virtually, so... Uh, yeah, exactly. Um, I wanted to find out, Clyde, you know when you, obviously, after the accident, I mean, how big is it, you know, when people have these issues? Obviously, your be- yours being on the severe end of the spectrum, I would say. Uh, how big is it on the mental health to be able to get back out there for that first time and get back uh, out hunting? Mate, it was hard. It was hard, yeah. I just didn't know what I could or couldn't do. But when I got up to John's place, we dropped the rifle rack up there. Up there. We decided on how we would approach the, uh, the reconstruction of this machine. And John measured it all up. And uh, when I got up there for the first test, it just slid straight on you. The incredible tradesman, John was. And uh, the machine just slid on there. We plugged it all up. And like I say, within about 10 shots, mate, I'm putting putting them all in the circle virtually. Um, <laughs> so, yeah. And after that, I'm going, OK, well, the rest is just, I've just got to be, think a bit tough. It's funny, when I had the horse, I told you, I'd know I made them on, Vic Mason, an old horse breaker. And he's teaching me about breaking, we were breaking a young... Uh, uh, um, quarter horse Appaloosa 15 hand job and he's big and heavy mate you know I had a, 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 a rawhide lariat of, of Vicks threw it over threw it over the neck and tried to pull this thing up around a post and you know, as a consequence of, of being a diver it tore all the skin off my hands you know and uh, old Vic taught me a very very important trick I've always uh, he said mate I can help you with that I can help you with that I can hardly bend my fingers does it I said what, 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 what? he said close your eyes I said, "Yep, close me eyes." He said, "Right, think tough," and that was his that was his remedy, mate. So I tell anybody else, you know, you want to get by, and you want to, you want to do these things. Close your eyes and just think tough, and it's amazing what you can do, you know. Yep. And, I, and, bit, that's, and that's and that's about it, Jacob. You know, sorry. Yeah, no, you're right. I was going to say, what do you, what do you, you know, like people that are, are going through these issues or something similar, or they've mm-hmm. got you know a different issue of a different kind, and they're they're struggling to get out. Like, what's your advice for them when they think they're hopeless or they think everything's hopeless and they can't possibly get out? What are you, well, what's your advice to them? My advice to them is get out. One step at a time, if you like. Get out there and just feel... You know, like I so said, I go fishing now. I can't wind in. I can't cast anything else. I, my wife, God bless her, is an ex- excellent caster. She's my little <laughs> yeah. machine. So, with a couple of rod holders, I've got my rod, she's got her. And 
she wades out calf and and we go fishing. My cousin comes and takes my cousin comes and takes me. One day we we go off fishing somewhere, and again I live you know I live in this unique spot. I'm overlooking the most beautiful river, mate, chock a block full of bass. A big big open flats where I see fellow. I shot a shot a bigger samba over there. Yep. Uh, um, and I, I can see all that from here. An hour behind me, I've got uh, I've got the best trout fishing and redfin up around Bombala. Um, an hour to the east of me, you're catching bluefin, yellowfin, and marlin. You know, mm. I live in this the most incredible spot. I am one very lucky cripple, mate. Let me tell you. That's good. I like hearing these good stories, Clive. I didn't even ask you. I mean, everyone loves me to ask guests what what your favourite game of species to hunt. What do, what do you enjoy? What's your what's your favourite? Oh, gee, any anything feral, I suppose. Um, my favourite. You know, probably my favourite these days. I would say would be foxes, mate. Yeah, I just love. Yeah, just love belting the mongrels. You know, they're <laughs> exactly. all they're, they're, they're all over the place. Foxes and cats. You know. I like I say I, I live in an area that's uh, that's fairly rich in game. You know, anywhere from here to Kindermine, I can go and hunt everything from reds, fallow, rusa, and samba, um, up to coast cheetle up around the narrow area. You know, we go and chase cheetle up there. Um, so for me, uh, again, I I go out once or twice a week. My mates come and get me. I've much loved uh, seventy-two-year-old Austrian friend of mine, an old hunter, and we go out every week now, and we we uh, we hunt whatever we can. There's pigs in the area up there. We're always chasing pigs there. Um, but my favourite animals, I'd say, Jason, like I say, would be foxes. I fear foxes and cats. They do so much bloody damage, you know? Yeah, yeah, that's I, true. I, I, I'm involved down here now. I, I'm the president of the Australian Conservation Hunters. Previously, uh, you know, probably 15 years ago, Two of us in sounds to myself kicked off uh, an ADA branch down at the Sapphire Coast branch, and I was president of that for about eight years. But um, I found with the ADA, uh, and I suppose the double double always, but you have to take who you're given in the club. And some of the local villains, if you like, were in our club. There's nothing I could do about it. So eventually, I stepped down from from being with the ADA, and we started our own club, Australian Conservation Hunters, down here. And we work in endangered species and threat abatement program. By that I mean we work with the forestry. We have the benefit of a, the forestry ecologist down here. And indeed we have our own ecologist in the club, Dr. Jim Shields. And we, uh, and we try and work, work in with agroforesters down here, CEFI, the South East Fibre, the uh, exporters, the chip mill. They've got many forests around the place. In the past we've worked with Wilmot and uh, a few of the other foresters down here. What we do, we go in there, we set up surveillance cameras, we set up hair funnels and sand traps to find, you know, footprints and hair samples and we try to identify what native animals are living in the area and what feral animals are living in there and we try and work out a program to suit. So we run fox drives in the past and spotlight surveys and spotlight culls and um, so that's been a real interest to me. And again, I think it shows what we hunters are really about, you know. We hunters in this country unfortunately have the unpleasant job of culling kangaroos. It's a, uh, and I mean unpleasant by the fact that it's madness in this country that we've got to shoot and tail tag eastern grey kangaroos and leave them to rot in situ. 
rather exactly. than use them, you know. And I'll just quickly say there, I've even run this out, mate. I, we have a local uh, um, uh, uh, um, endangered species, uh, uh, I don't know what you call it, uh, 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 zoo down here, if you like, Pottery Palace, it's called. They have dingoes, they have, they have quolls, they have a few other animals in there. I was covering kangaroos in a place on tail tag, on permit, and I wrote, up, I wrote, to, I wrote to Forest, uh, I wrote to National Parks and asked permission to donate some of these uh, these kangaroos to the Pottery Palace for their dingoes and their quolls. And I was told no, that I wasn't allowed to by law because I was subsidising their, uh, it was deemed a commercial enterprise because I was subsidising Pottery Palace from not buying meat. So, uh, you know, I mean, that disgusted me. Alone. So I wrote back and said, okay, I've just spoken to the local dogger down here, forestry dogger, so I give some meat to him. And I was told the same thing again, mate, that because it was commercial, seen as a commercial enterprise, because I was subsidising these people, that we couldn't, uh, we couldn't cull the kangaroos, you know. Yeah, exactly. I couldn't, I couldn't use the culled kangaroos there. But um, I forgot what the question was. No, no, that's no, all right. I feel like I've steered away from it. <laughs> no, no, no. It's okay. We're just talking about the, the animals. But I wanted to find out, Clyde, this is a funny one, actually. Um, a lot of people, there's all, people love all different calibers. Um, you know, often, you, you know, you probably know this, you get into a group and you have a laugh and everyone, oh, yeah. you know, fights over their calibers. What's, um, what's Clyde's go-to calibers? What does he enjoy shooting? My favourite calibre is a twenty-two two fifty. Yeah? Nothing, yeah, oh, yeah. I just, because I can, you know, I can just about write my name with it. There's very little that uh, I, I, I wouldn't I wouldn't shoot with it. You know, I, I wouldn't take on a buffalo. I probably would a uh, a scrubber. I suppose they were in the right position. But I've just I've shot all kinds of things, mate, with my twenty two two fifty. Uh, sadly, to start with, before I got the three hundred or the three hundred eight, that's all I had, and I uh, I got in a few spots. You know, I, mate, I've I, I shot a pure blood pure blood whoppity elk. Uh, yeah. uh, with a twenty-two, two fifty, um, two hundred yard shot. I've shot. I've shot a big hybrid up here, up on the top of Brown Mountain in the early days. Glenbog, Glenbog yeah. Forest. There, he goes forty-nine inches. It's a massive. I think it weighed. Uh, I can't remember what it weighed. Now the boat that we finally got it to about three hundred something kilos. And that was gutted, you know. Yeah. And that was a single shot with a twenty-two, two fifty. Also, I've shot pigs. I've shot goats. I've shot all kinds of creatures with it. Um, and again, I'll say, because it is a deadly accurate and I head shoot or I neck shoot, um, I have upped the ante now because uh, I'm finding the ranges. Uh, as I'm getting old, I'm 62 now. It's getting harder and harder, you know. So I've, uh, I shoot 300 mags mainly now if I'm going to chasing deer. We're just going to go to a quick break here on AHP Digital and we will be right back. Don't go anywhere. Do you have dull, blunt or badly sharpened knives that couldn't skin a cat? At Scary Sharp, we use a multi-step grinding system and will hand sharpen your blades to a precise edge. Our process of sharpening knives will have your blades splitting hairs for a surprisingly low cost. Not only do we sharpen knives, but we also sharpen scissors, clippers, garden tools, arrowheads, axes, or anything that holds an edge. We are located close to Canberra, and we also have a mail-in service. Visit Scary Sharp on Facebook or call Bob on 0410 432 852 and find out how we can meet your sharpening needs. 
Scary Sharp. If it cuts, we can sharpen it. Senator David Lionhelm from the Liberal Democrats is a fearless advocate for his fellow shooters. Most politicians duck for cover on gun issues, but not David. Time and time again, he has stood firm on shooters' rights in the media, the Senate and with government ministers. He has held the government to account on import bans and permits to acquire. The Liberal Democrats are putting shooters first. Visit ldp.org.au and vote one, the Liberal Democrats. Looking for outdoor equipment for your next adventure? At Aussie Outdoor Gear, you can find cooking equipment, camo clothing for kids, backpacks, camo accessories and much more. We cater for your hunting, fishing, camping, hiking and other outdoor pursuits with our unique product range. AussieOutdoorGear.com.au Quality gear at affordable prices. Ah, good stuff. What about what, and what about what's in the uh, safe? What's your what's the favourite uh, firearm Clyde uh, oh, owns, mate? What's his, his? You can only pick one, mate. What's your favourite? Yeah. My little Bruno twenty two, mate. Yeah. I've had that since <laughs> I was a kid. I uh, I know this is a no no, but I shot my first deer with it when I was a kid. I just a uh, rooster just popped up when I was popping bunnies down at Dapto one day. It's about a sixty yard shot. I had a nice loon. Between the ears from behind and down, I went, mate. Yeah. So, uh, but I, I just, you know, I shot my first fox with it. I shot, I shot my first pig with it when I was a kid, about twelve. So it has a lot of uh, a lot of memories there. Clyde, when you're going out, obviously, you know people, you know, obviously the people that know you know about your accident, but may not know that you you go hunting. When they find out you you've got this. You know, issue and you and you're still going out hunting. What do they generally say? Are they amazed oh, or what are they? Mate, they're, they're amazed. They're fascinated. So I have <laughs> little. You know, I, should, I tell everybody if you really if you want to get onto a property, get yourself a wheelchair <laughs> because, uh, <laughs> I, because they do. I, they go, you hunt. I go, yeah, mate. I'm, I'm a bad cripple. Don't don't you know? Piss yeah. me off, mate. Because, <laughs> yeah. Um, and they they really are. They, they are intrigued by. It. So when right. I get out there. And like I said, I've had, you know, I, I got, uh, I got invited to have a hunt on the place, this place property. It took us eight hours to get there. It was a rotten, mangled mountain road. And he'd been seeing this massive big hybrid stag, Arusa Sandicross, in and out of the place. So, anyway, long story short, we finally got to the farmhouse. And I, I said to, I said to the bloke, you know, you're right, bro. you know, I can have a shot here. He said, hey, you're going to shoot. And I said, yeah, I'm going to shoot, yeah. He said, How, you know, and I tried to tell him. Well, while we're sitting in the car, McCare is looking up, and uh, the old blokes tell us where he turned the stag last. And he goes, mate, there's a, mass, there's a big stag up the hill there. And with that, and the old bloke looked up, he said, Jesus Christ, that's it, that's it. So about 200, I don't know what it's been, probably 260 yards uphill. It's this massive, big hybrid stag in two days stand under a tree just in the dark shadow. I could just see his outline there. So I said to the bloke, so it's right. He said, yeah. And I said, can I, would you mind if I shot from here? He said, you can shoot from here. I said, bloody hell, mate. So I quickly offloaded <laughs> out the van, pulled me rifle out of the rifle rack, screwed it onto the, onto the rifle rack, loaded it all up, slid onto my chair, lit over, and then I tried to tip back to get a shot. And I tracked up on this on the machine as high as I could, and I just couldn't make the elevation. That's how steep it was, and it's probably about 65, 68 degrees. So I could see 
his driveway going into his shed. I said, Mick, push me over. So he pushed me over there, tipped my wheelchair back and whacked the, uh, the front wheels up on there. I tracked down, mate, right onto his, onto his neck, and uh, I hit him with a 300. He just collapsed on the spot. Well, the old bloke just said, oh, mate, if you, we'd had Yuri said in, uh, in New Guinea during the war, he said, you'd have kicked all their asses. He said, I've never in my life seen anything like that, you know? And that's about the, re- that's the response I get most of the time. It's, uh, you know, it's novel, mate. They, they just, they don't know what to expect, I suppose. Mate, you know? when, when you go to the properties, no one probably says no to you when you get, want to get access. They, they no, don't. no, most of the time <laughs> they don't. But what I do now, I, you know, I just, uh, I've taken, I've probably taken 60 or 70 deer there and buffalo and scrub bulls, had them a chair. And it's funny, I don't, I don't get probably as much enjoyment these days out of going out. It's a major job, Jason, as you can imagine. Yep. I've got to load up into my hunting chair, which is fairly uncomfortable. It's fairly robust and solid. It's a little bit bigger than my normal day chair. Yep. And it's a little bit more, you know, I'm going to load up and then I'm going to strap down. I'm going to get up the hills and, you know, so it all gets very hard. What I get my, my enjoyment out of these days taking guys and guiding guys, you know. And I've guided, I've guided hunters from Alaska, from North America, um, from Taiwan. I've taken blokes from all around the joint, you know. And I have much joy now in passing on, you know, any wisdom that I've accrued over these years. I've been blessed having a Scottish grandfather, you know, and he taught me, or he taught me important lessons. One I'll share with, with the viewers, mate. When I was about 14, I got my first shotgun. And uh, we'd been out whistling foxes on this particular day. And I was fair tongue to have a shot at something. We had no luck at all. And I was just coming back to camp and we'd sit down and have poppers over the last blow on the whistle. And I was watching a couple of carolines come and land the tree. And he said, oh, I can't do his Scottish break, but he said to me, you want to shoot one of those? And I said, yeah, I do. And uh, <laughs> yeah. he said, all right, yeah, right don't shoot it. So I shot it, you know. He said, good shot, very, very good shot. He said, I'm going to choke barrel long range. He said, go and fetch it, you know. He said, you better pluck it up. And I said, pluck it up. He said, well, you'll not eat it with the feathers on it. And I said, eat the carol. Can you eat them? He said, well, I wouldn't like to eat one. And I said, well, what are they? He said, you killed it, son. You know? And I said, well, I know. He said, well, why did you kill it? He said, son, you don't have the right, you don't have the right because you've got a firearm to take a life for no reason, for fun, you know? He said, that's not what we're here to do. He said, we take for the pot. We take because we have a, a reason or a need. You do not have the right to take a life because you own a firearm. And that, Jason, has stuck with me. I passed that on to so many kids and tried to sink it into them, you know? It is a privilege. We are. It is a privilege for us to be allowed to go and hunt in the bush. It's not our God-given right, unfortunately. You know, it is a privilege today, and we're uh, and we're all ambassadors for our sport. So everything that you do wrong out there reflects on all of us, and everything you do right. You know, and so I say that to guys today, you represent yourselves as frontline conservationists. That's who we are. That's the role that we play, mate. We are humane. We don't poison, you know, that's endorsed. 
I love it, mate. You know, we call rednecks. Get the RSPCA, the Royal Society for the Prevention of Cruelty to Animals, endorses 1080 poisoning. I don't get that one, mate. Nor do mm. I get, you know, nor do I get the, the national parks and their poisoning campaigns. I just don't understand it when we know land-based, you know, ground-based culling is a uh, is a uh, better species, method. Better method, yeah. Well, species-specific, humane. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I could go on and on about it, but you know, I'm, I'm preaching to the converted as well. <laughs> Clyde, a couple more questions to finish sure. off. I know when I talk about, it, I want to get to the politics. This is going great so far, but we'll mm-hmm. get into one question. Um, you know, I mean, you probably live in a rural area. You know, a lot of you know, some of people are probably nationals, voters, etc. You know, so what? If you don't mind, if you do, you vote for a, a pro-gun political party? Do you vote oh, for any two majors or? Yeah, Robbie Borzak and, and Brownie are family here. They both come. Or Robbie Borzak comes in and stays with us when he's coming through. Um, I love them both, mate. They are our representatives. They're both. They're both. You know, uh, um, grounded. Uh, uh, um, I don't really know how to, how to put it. They, they represent the real world, mate, in a plastic society today. It, what a challenge that they have, you know, themselves. Yep. It's very hard for us, as I said before, to relate, as you, you know, to to uh, rank and file urbanites these days that watch the footy or go surfing or fishing. And mate, 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 you know, it's hard for them to understand why we hunt. Yeah. And... Uh, and that's their job, you know? Yep. All right, Clyde, five questions. A bit of a fun segment here. Five questions in under a minute. Do you think you can take the challenge? Yeah, I'll go for it. All right, I'll in three, go. two, one, go. All right, in five words or less, describe what being a hunter means to you. What a hunter means to me? Oh, gee. Uh, 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 a naturist. I, I, I'm, I'm privileged from being uh, allowed to, you know, partake of the environment, fresh air, fresh water, and wonderful, wonderful company. Yeah, favourite aspect of hunting, what is it and why? Favourite aspect? Um, it's a hard one, Jay. Uh, um, <laughs> favourite aspect? I, I don't... I suppose being... Yeah, go on. What, what part do you enjoy the most? I think these days I enjoy being a conservation hunter and, and, and promoting that. What we do is humane, is cultural, is traditional, is organic. You know? oh, yep, favourite species of all time. I think you said the fox, but what is it and why? Yep, favourite species of all time would be foxes. Because they're a challenge, because they're a threat to our environment, foxes and cats, I put them in the same category. Yep. They are a, and they are a challenge. If you can hunt anywhere in the world, Clyde, where would it be and why? Aussie, mate, good old Australia, because we have such a plethora of game here. We can go from the deserts hunting donkeys and camels um, through to the northern rainforest where we hunt bantang and buffalo. We've got seven or eight different, seven species of deer. We've got rabbits and hares and ducks, and we've got it all, mate, you know? Yep, Clyde, other than your firearms, what is one piece of hunting equipment you own? What is it and why? Other than my firearms? Yeah. Would be my uh, be my knives, I suppose. Yeah. I've had because I've had them forever and a day. You know, I've had knives since I was a kid. Here, I've still got I've still got the whistle and the pop baby as well. I have a whistle with a, with a compass on it, and uh, that has made that has been wonderful in the times that 
the occasion that I have been yeah. lost or bushwhacked. Okay. All right, two, of, yeah. two, 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 sorry, two, 209, 209, Clyde, 209. <laughs> two minutes, yeah, two minutes and nine seconds. Uh, that's all right. Uh, still, a bit, bit, still a bit of a fun segment. Still enjoyable. Um, you know, it's good. It's good to try and put people on the spot to have a bit of a laugh and see what they can yep. come up with in in a oh, minute yeah. or two. All right, yeah, Clyde. I'm, um, I'm, I'm, I'm a bit slow today. I had a bad night last night. Nah, that's all right, mate. It's all just a bit of fun. Yep. Just a bit of a fun segment that we do here on the show. Clyde, I want to. I want to finish off. Um, Tell us, we, we need to finish off with a story, one of your favourite stories maybe, you know, what time of year, what you were doing, maybe a hunting story um, that you can share with me uh, the, or the listeners. Yeah, uh, um, let me think, a story. Yeah, yeah, something that stands out in your mind as a good day and, you know, what time of year it was, you know, was it summer or winter, yeah. morning or night, okay. give us, just try and explain okay. it to the listeners so they can well, understand it. Mate, this is, a very, this is a very emotional hunt as well. I got permission to hunt for a rooster on a mate's property, probably about an hour's drive, an hour and a half drive from here. So I put a hunt in on this particular day, Michael McCare and myself. And we uh, we perched up in the gully, we'd, you know, eat glass, and I, I had the old Leopold up looking around here, there, and everywhere. But we had a real good vantage, real eerie, right up high looking down to the gully. Long story short, I could see a couple of deer moving around, and Mick said to me, McCare said, there's a couple coming out of the shadows now. And I said, yeah, I'm, I'm on to them. And a, a hind came out first of all. And I could see an animal standing behind her. And I could see it was a stag. And Mick says to me, that's a stag. The stag I was after, Jake, was a big mongrel head. He'd broken his head the year before uh, during the rut. His antler was hanging, his right antler was hanging down over his right eye. It was one big solid massive bone. And I love those mongrel heads. Obviously, I've got one myself. I just loved pursuing it, you know. <laughs> so I'm sitting there, and I said, no, Mick, it's not him. And Mick said, it is him, and uh, he's coming out. And I said, Mick, it's not him. There's a big animal behind I can see. Well, once this thing stepped out, it was bloody him. I'd eaten me hat. Anyway, it, it was him. And I quickly, I, I dropped the, uh, tried to bring my, my, my rifle rack down on, on the, the big joysticks. I'm winding down madly. And this thing stepped across the creek into the open. I swung onto its neck. I assessed, I assessed the range at that stage to be about 200 and a bit over. Big mistake. And I shot, I aimed a little bit high on his neck there. I thought, right about there, bottom five. And I shot clean over the neck of this thing. And it split, you know. Well, for the next four years, I put time in on that animal. I saw it another three times. I spent, I couldn't tell you how many days I've spent up there looking. It was massive, this bloody thing. Anyway, uh, and like I said, probably three hunts, four hunts a year, I'd go up there. And I'm talking about spending, you know, days up there looking for it and hunting around. We flushed fallow deer. I actually shot about a 2.30 fallow on one day, run out of a gully there. Anyway, had no, could not ever put this big fellow up, but we knew. We could see signs still there. Uh, a local, a mate of mine, very near and dear, it was down River Stewie Bird at of Kyra uh, River Knives. Stewie passed away, and uh, I went to his funeral. While we were at the funeral, I was there with Kingfisher, my my close buddy, and and uh, and he was my decky when I was out diving. Kingfisher, uh, honey, honey Pitta is a big Maori, one of the oldest down here, and uh, he said to me, "We have a hunt tomorrow for Stewie." 
this is at the funeral. I said, yeah, okay, we'll have a hundred. So the next day arrived. Long story short, we uh, we wheeled out. I got my brother and Mick to drop me off on a corner of the fence there where we knew the deer came down, going through of this property and the boys drove off about two kilometres and what they were going to do is they were going to walk along the go we had the wind blowing to us west to east so it was in my face and Kingfisher's face and we sat there and we waited and the boys went away I say a couple of kilometres and they walked on the hills and we saw a few deer flushing out and uh, we're sitting there just one probably been there an hour when Kingfisher grabs me on the shoulder and he says up the hill up the hill so I turn around on my left and here up the hill mate is this massive big mongrel-headed rooster and uh, he's with a sidekick there and he's there quivering all over he's looking down at us we couldn't quite tell what we are over the camo the big camo blanket wrapped right around both of us and he couldn't quite focus anyway he was a little bit jumpy at this stage i could not get the angle to get up the hill to get a shot so he's probably about 70 degrees up anyway he he, he trotted away trotted down the hill and went diagonally away from us and uh, but he picked up a bit of speed at this stage. He knew something was wrong. Anyway, he sort of, the distance soon got to around the 300 mark. Um, by this stage, he diagonal from my left to right, going away from him. I was tracking on him, tracking on, following him as best I could. And right at that stage, Mick McCara walked out of a gully about half a mile away. And this thing's just caught, he just caught him in his eye. And he spun around sideways and pulled up to look at the mink before he disappeared into the scrub and I just happened to track on him there Joe and I was a little bit high behind the shoulder and what mate I fired and I could see it was a good <laughs> shot the tail flipped out flat and he did one of those great big death dances you know the great big arc yep, yep. and he just circled around Kingfisher said now what is he doing you know I said he's doing his last dance mate and he crashed you know nice. well, to get, when I went over there he goes about 32 on one side, 31 on the other side, but it is as thick as your wrist. I, I don't know what it measures around. Um, if ever you're down, he doesn't. It's just the most stunning. And the whole thing is heavily pearled, just coming out of out of velvet. Um, it is probably the most magnificent-looking head. But that, to me, is what it was about. It was four years of pursuing that animal, of reading a sign, of, of finding which gully he worked. He worked three or four gullies, you know, and uh, and that to me is what it's about, mate. You know. Awesome, awesome. Well, Clyde, hopefully, um, you know, if you just 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 a final question, I guess, or final bit of advice, if you could, um, you know, someone's you know in, in a similar boat than you, or you know, in, in the same situation of, of having a disability, yep. and feels like they can't get out there, or what can you know? What's your advice to you know if you're getting out there? What's your advice to them? Well, that anything's possible. You've only got to try. If you can think it, you know. It's possible, mate. I, I live a fairly effective life down here now. I'm still involved in the airborne industry. I'm still involved. I'm the unofficial uh, secretary of the Professional Dive Association. We run, I run a reunion here every year. We raise money for camp quality with that. I'm the president down here of the Australian Conservation Hunters. Um, I was on the board of directors down there. And this is not about me blowing my trumpet. I'm trying to say that you can do it, you know? Yeah. If I can do it, mate, anybody can, you know. Mm. Uh, you just got to believe in yourself. I, I, I'm lucky that I have support here, and I'm lucky that I have the most incredible friends, you know. I yep. have support from my loved one, of course. Yeah. And, uh, 
and I've been very gifted. And I, you know, I've had a few other horrible things happen along the way, um, but we got robbed, mate. We got absolutely, our accountant up in Sydney cleaned me out of everything that we we won in the courts, and I've been pursuing him for the last 17 years mm. to get my money back. So, um, but that's another story altogether, mate. You know? Yeah. Uh, we're given these challenges. You can rise above it. You can just have a go. That's all I say to anybody. Awesome. Just believe yourself and have a go. Clyde Thomas joins us here on the Australian Hunting Podcast to talk about you know hunting with a disability and hunting under adverse circumstances. So, Clyde, thanks for your time. I really, really appreciate it, mate. Thanks very much. I've had a great time having a chat to you today. Yeah, thank you, Jason. Wonderful, wonderful. Great job you're doing there, mate. You're not spreading the word. You've just been educated, and this is the Australian Hunting Podcast. Thanks for listening. See you next time.